Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. In today's program, my guest is Jutte Guteland. She is a member of the European Parliament for the Social Democrats since 2014. She was a lead negotiator for the European Union's climate law that reached a deal after 14 hours of talks the 21st of April 2021. Since 2019, she is a member and group leader for the Social Democratic Group in the Environment Committee, the European Parliament's largest committee. She is also working in the delegation for relations with the United States and the Committee of Foreign Affairs. She has previously worked as a political expert in the Ministry of Finance in Sweden and at the think tank Global Challenges. Welcome, Jutte. Thank you very much. You received recently a Climate Reality Award. Can you tell us what was behind? Why did you get this award? I believe it was because I'm as the lead negotiator on the European climate law was uh, quite tough in the in the pressure and also uh, my initial report was very ambitious uh, regarding the the climate and how how much reduction we should have on uh, on the emissions so uh, i believe that's the reason yeah. so can you tell the listener what the european climate law is about yes yeah. uh, it is um, regulation provisionally adopted today declaring that the European Union will be climate neutral at the latest 2050. And then uh, this regulation is also um, uh, setting the trajectory to reach to climate neutrality. And uh, there is uh, targets uh, along this pathway and uh, also um, for 2030 and 2040 uh, and it has um, several amendments uh, that is important or paragraph that's important uh, on how the EU should deliver not only climate neutrality 2050 at the latest but also uh, deliver to the Paris agreement and make sure that we um, fulfill our uh, commitments to the Paris Agreement. Hmm. So when will it be implemented in the European Union? It will be quite soon, next ah. year. But so, uh, let's see when we have the, uh, the actual decision in the Parliament. Uh, I believe it will be very soon and also in the Council. Yeah. But it's so that, provisionally agreed already. Yeah. yeah. So that's the process. It's the first to the uh, Parliament and then going to the Council. Yes, um, that will probably be the timeline. But both uh, co-legislators has provisionally agreed to it. So I don't believe we will have any surprises. I see. Uh, have you got any reaction on the deal so far? Yes, absolutely. During the day, it has been uh, highly debated uh, in uh, in the news and also uh, among colleagues in the parliament. And also, I saw that uh, the member states reacted and uh, 
there were positive uh, comments. Uh, the, the majority is, uh, is positive. There are also those who believe we could have uh, accomplished more. Uh, I'm not surprised that there are comments like that, and I'm not uh, challenged by it. I believe it's important that we also state that we need to do more. This is the first step uh, to improve the climate legislation, uh, the first step to do it properly. Uh, but it's yet the first step because uh, we need to increase the ambition further to 2030. That is my my belief uh, but we did what we could um, with the circumstances we have uh, to both increase the target for 2030 also make sure that we count better in, in uh, as i mentioned in relation to the paris agreement what we have uh, committed to uh, we introduce a greenhouse gas budget which will be a conscience uh, for, for the European Union that we need to deliver more. And I also am very proud that we uh, introduce a advice, advisory board on the EU level with climate experts uh, that will be independent. And I believe they will also do much good to climate. They will, they will add the value to climate by being independent and by making sure that uh, we know what needs to be done and where we are uh, in relation to Paris Agreement, but also on our own pathway to climate neutrality. Can you give any preliminary date you think that uh, all this process to be adapted for the next year we we have it as our climate law uh, also introduced in the in the member states it is not a very long implementation process since it's a regulation i see well, it has been a huge work for you, as I understand. But then, uh, when we look at to be a chief negotiator in a process like that, how was it? It is a teamwork. Uh, so, with many, as with many um, great things in lives, there are teams, and uh, it's the same here. There is a team from the parliament both with politicians as myself from different political groups but i was the one who who uh, who were leading the process and leading the meetings and uh, drafting the first report uh, but there's also a team with advisors uh, with the legal service uh, with the, the team from the parliament that helps out to make it legally sound um, and that is of course something we as politicians needs uh, to make sure that uh, it it's done in a proper way and then of course we also have uh, the the commission the eu commission that is the one who actually proposed uh, the, the the legislation in in the first place and they are also helping out of course uh, facilitating uh, during the meetings, being a bridge between the co-legislators, us, the European Parliament and the Council, who is uh, represented by the presidency. Now, this, uh, this uh, first half year, it's uh, Portugal, who is the presidency of uh, the European Union. And uh, they were tonight represented by their 
climate and environmental minister. And uh, we were, the different teams were sitting around the table and we were going through paragraph by paragraph. And then uh, we work uh, with uh, the idea to, to come to as many conclusion as possible and then it comes these difficult questions where we can't agree and then we need to go back to our teams and uh, talk with them how can we uh, circumvent this problem can we have another proposal can we help out can we facilitate by by dropping some of our amendments or should we insist and we insisted a lot, so therefore it was actually 14 hours, and this was the seventh, uh, no, it was the sixth um, negotiation with the three institutions. So we have met six times, uh, long meetings, and then all the preparation ahead of every meeting. So the 14 hours today, I think that was kind, some kind of record actually uh, in, in, in building the, the legislation. But that no. was also because everyone thought it was important and because uh, we really wanted to conclude this week. Uh, and we didn't want another meeting, but we yet we didn't want uh, the, the law to be not as ambitious or as good as the institution wanted it to be. Yeah, and um, uh, 14 hours, and what was the clock then when you went home? 5 a.m. Uh, we were ready and we took the photos and uh, we uh, celebrated each other with, with a little applaud. We had social distance during the meeting, so we also had people remotely participating uh, but uh, we the head negotiators were there uh, but with some uh, keeps kept some distance between each other we also we were also tested all of us for covid and we had the mask during the 14 hours and um, i'm not very i mean i respect it but it was a bit heavy <laughs> um when you speak and you i wanted to pronounce it well i wanted people to understand what i was saying and yet they saw this white mask and me behind and the glasses uh who got uh, also blurry from the mask uh, but it was so intense and I, i'm really happy that we continue that we fulfilled it and i believe that we turned every stone here to, to increase the ambition. And I know that the 2030 target was the most difficult one. And um, many will say that we could have done more, but I will know that I, I did turn all the stones that were there to increase the target further. Mm. Uh, a negotiation like this is always uh, sort of a lot of things happening under the time. But uh, do you have any exciting stories from the negotiation that could be interesting for the listener to, to get an insight on? I would say there were absolutely the, uh, the, the drama of the 2030 target was there all the time. That was the kind of... Um, elephant in the room uh, would say uh, everyone wanted to 
I mean, the 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 presidency they didn't have a, a room to to give what we wanted. We wanted much more. We had a sixty percent re reduction target, so it was brutto. And they had this net target with uh, removals and uh, reduction in the combination. Uh, and uh, that means that the actual reduction was way lower than the parliament's reduction target. Uh, and that was, that was all the time uh, in the room and uh, sometimes in a happy way uh, that we were laughing uh, that that we were so so uh, late and uh, difficult and so on other times frustrating actually very mm -hmm. heavy because i want to deliver to the climate i want to deliver for the citizens uh, i believe we need to do more for 2030 uh, and i had this headache literally headache and uh, how do i make sure that we both do as much as possible on the the reduction and yet don't end up where we don't have the climate law now and delay it for a year or two that will not help then probably a revision would be better in the future than to delay this process maybe with the presidency who is not as eager to do well and uh, so that was absolutely in the room the whole time let, let us leave the climate law for a while and the environmental committee in the parliament has a lot of different issues to deal with and particularly to go from an old system to something new. And one of the, the new areas that we talk a lot about is the, the circular economy. And uh, EU also have a sort of a circular action plan, uh, which is a part of the Green Deal. And um, uh, it also means that you need to remove obstacles, tighten legislation and come up with incentives. But the circular economy means also that you think in systems and laws in the parliament is mostly related to the linear principle of sort of uh, the, the the silo thinking and and how how can the EU, european union uh, deal with this type of changes in the society when you go from one system to another system which are more related to to our planet's needs Oh, this is indeed the Nobel Prize uh, question, and uh, we we will fight uh, the upcoming years on how to do it. Uh, there are so many question marks here, uh, but still, I'm I really and truly believe that politics works and democracy, when it has a commitment, will deliver. We will learn by mistakes, we will have reform and then another reform and another one and the revisions that we are doing on the different uh, uh, pieces of legislation uh, that, that will be more and more circular uh, every time. 
Um, there are, as you say, the silos, but it's also the the circles that that are not uh, there on very big uh, sectors, uh, and where we we know that we have a huge waste, and many times um, we don't even have the. the today anything that is helping us to make it circular. I'm thinking about our um, clo clothing where we actually uh, are throwing away uh, a lot without even, it has not even been used and we, and we just throw it away. The paper industry uh, where we also know that we could be much more circular in Europe and the uh, tires, uh, uh, is is a very good example uh, where we also know that we could be much more circular. And there are so many different uh, industries and products there uh, that we we need to do the job. And yet, as you mentioned, uh, there are of course the obstacles also on that we, we do one thing and then maybe we don't know what how how that will interact uh, and and if we're doing something else somewhere else that is contradictory to what we're trying to do uh, on the on the circular economy mm. i'm absolutely aware of it but i must say that i'm very impressed by the speed of the this transition also in in the mindset uh, a couple of years back people didn't talk about the circularity the way they do today and uh, there were not even a thought of that. It was only the idea of of, produce, of new technology and have new products and not how their footprint are on the whole chain and how it's uh, circular. But today that is certainly always there. It's always the question and uh, that is helping. Mm. But uh, what, what, which role do you think the environmental committee can play? Because this uh, is a sort of a cross-border issue that uh, need to be addressed in different types of committee and in the parliament also that it's sort of a system that have to be in place to, to also give the right uh, uh, incentives, but also smart regulation that help the circular thinking in different part of the European Union. Uh, how, how I think the environmental. Where, where is the power? Is that do you in the environmental committee are the driver for change? Yes, I think actually uh, there needs to be um, in cooperation with different committees in the parliament, and then of course it's all as as with the climate law is the co-legislators the will. I know that the EU Commission is committed to do more, and they will propose. Uh, uh, different uh, uh, ways of, of acting, um, but then it's the co-legislators, so it's also actually the, the member states, so we should not forget uh, that we are two to tango here in the European Union, but uh, in, the, in the parliament, I would say that there is both uh, the environmental committee that has the competence on climate, and without that competence in the advisors, the members, um, that we will lose uh, months, years, uh, because there is experience that needs to be there when we work with the legislat 
uh, with the legislative proposals. But of course, there needs to be uh, also a very good cooperation with committees like the, the industry committee and the, the IMCO committee about the internal market uh, and uh, sometimes with the trade committee. Uh, uh, so INTA uh, will also be very important and we need constantly to work together on the reports because we of course have competence on climate but the industry policies in ITRES so we need their uh, views on how the industry can work and in the in the parliament we need to be better in working like that, uh, especially now. Mm -hmm. But uh, the climate law will help you to address this type of issue uh, because it has an overall strategy uh, uh, role to play for the overall uh, European Union strategic decisions. That is very clear and it's really clear. I mean, I've been in the parliament since, since uh, 2014 and it's not that long, but still it's another time. Uh, it is it's like then and now it's, it's, it's two different planets when it's come to climate, circular economy, environment. Uh, back then, even though it's not that far, uh, it's not that long ago, uh, in 2014, these questions were, were even more in silos in the in the in the corner of or way out in if you look at the political agenda they were at the latest or or outside the room uh, today it's the center of politics it's the big agenda if you speak about where is europe going it's about the european green deal and the flagship is the, the climate law. And we can never underestimate the political signal of that. The environmental committee is the biggest committee in the European Parliament. Uh, there was people fighting to be in the environmental committee because the members have promised um, their, the citizens in the election movement that they will act on climate, on environment. And of course, if you're supposed to do that, you need to be in the environmental committee. So there is another, it's, it's night and day. It's so different. Mm. Well, then when we go then down, in, down the line and, and see you have to uh, implement other action related to the climate law and and it's a lot of small conflicts, but it's coming up. How do you reach the target? And we talk about issues like biomass, energy, the bio CCS, the negative emission, how to be climate positive, the natural gas, fossil fuel, electrification, batteries, transport and renewable energy. So a lot of questions that are coming up under this umbrella of the climate law. But how, how do you see the, the Nordic's role of the biomass discussion, which is very hot now, uh, as I can see in many places, or the relationship between nature and technology and, and also the humans? This is an important contribution to the, to the climate policy to show that the biomass can not only um, be of help when it comes to to products, uh, but also uh, biofuels. Uh, we need that if we are about to, if we should 
succeed uh, if we, we and we need to succeed in this transition i really believe that the bioeconomy is essential in many ways i i i think it is important of course that we point out some strategic choices for the future but we cannot depend only on one that's too narrow and that would also mean that we might build ourselves into this uh, situation where where we where we have uh, where we lock ourselves in so i believe in electrification surely i believe it, that is very important for europe uh, but we need the bioeconomy too and uh, that is for sure we will not be as quick with electrification all over uh, so and we need to be quick in this transition and uh, we already have alternatives here to help the climate and we need to use that so nordic countries can really promote how to use uh, our forest in a sustainable way uh, both for sustainable management of the forest but also it's important for the removals as well but uh, in many other parts of europe you don't have that way of looking at the forest it's only this big sink uh, that should be used only as a removal alternative and i think the nordic countries can show that this can also be a big contribution to the uh, climate tools uh, when it comes to biofuels and uh, also products, mm. new products that can uh, replace fossil fuel products. Yeah, you point out some important thing there and also when you look at the Nordic countries and, and the role that biomass has played for um, systems like uh, district heating and, and in, in particular in cities and how big role it has played for the climate strategy. Definitely. That will be a, not only one fight. I believe it will come again and again a couple of times uh, in the upcoming future that we, we need to strike the right balance here. We need to say that, of course, we understand that we need to have more removals. That is also what we said in the climate law tonight. So yes, we need more removals and the forests need to play an important role here. But we cannot hinder uh, uh, sustainable management of forests that also will deliver product, products, biofuels, and mean that we have also new climate tools to replace the fossil, fossil fuel ones. And that uh, we will defend. There will be many times uh, we have the taxonomy, uh, proposal we have uh, Lulu CF about the forest and the land use that will come this summer as two examples. Mm. Uh, let us go to another area of uh, your life and, and that's of course your personal development to be a politician in, in Europe. How, how are your thoughts and, and, and your visions to become a politician from the beginning? Can you give that uh, view? Hmm. How it was? No, actually it didn't, it was not like that. Uh, I, I, um, I was uh, 
engaged in my spare time. I studied economics and uh, uh, I was uh, engaged in the, in the youth league uh, when I was studying, both as a teenager and then as a student and also in the student movement. Uh, and then uh, I worked for the, the government. Uh, when, when when we had the social democratic government last time with uh, Prime Minister Jöran Persson. So I worked uh, for the uh, Minister of Finance, uh, Per Nuder, and also uh, for, for the Minister for Education. I was uh, also helping out uh, in his office, uh, answering letters and so on when I was a student. And it was really interesting and I learned a lot from from these uh, politicians and they had a great vision for the education and also for Sweden and I learned a lot. I also worked for a local mayor after that and I would say it's on that way. Uh, but I would really like to engage young people to get involved. I'm very impressed by the young generation of today, their demands, uh, their fight for climate, environment, uh, many times uh, also for the animal protection. I, I really, I see in many of the, 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 the po political debates where I participate that the young generation is very aware and also active. What I do miss, uh, but that's not only the young generation, it's also <laughs> way up in, in um, people who are much older is actually to participate in a in as a representative for a political party or get involved in a, in a in a political um, party or some kind of uh, a movement that also will uh, be able to to change also in the in the parliament or uh, make sure that all the demands also connects uh, to the democratic process and the representativity of the democracy is really important so we need to uh, also protect that I, I i really believe that this is important also in the future it it is not something that's old or will not be part of the future i mean that would be a scary future if we don't uh, defend the the democracy so i i would want more generation to participate in the the, the, the political uh also uh, party system yeah when you see greta thunberg and other young uh, from the young generation going out on the street and demands uh, solution and do you think we have a political crisis in the political parties that they, they can't be attractive enough to engage the young generation? Yes, of course it is. Uh, there is crisis uh, for democracy in it today. And we see in uh, when, uh, when we have the, the measure of how it's going in the world, uh, we see that for the first time in decades, it's going in the wrong direction. So uh, this is absolutely a threat. And uh, there are many reasons to that. I don't see the young generation as the problem, but I see that they are very strong and they can really help out. Uh, and uh, their commitment 
are very real, strong, and um, uh, by that passion that I see among many young people, um, I think there is there is force for 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 the, the democracy. But then but, it needs to be also linked uh, to the to the parliaments. Uh, it cannot cannot only stay in the streets or in the social media. It needs also to to find its way to to how we do the decision making together, uh, and that is uh, a key. And that is something that will never grow old. It is a method that we need to defend for the future also. Um, so that is something I would like to engage people in. How do we do it? So we don't stay in the street or in the social media, but that we actually choose representatives that will be linked to the movement that's strong in the social media or in, in the street. So we don't have weak political parties and then strong movements that is outside and not interlinked in the party system. Uh, that is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But you, you, you must have, uh, when you were younger, and, and you, you must have a sort of a vision of, of passion to, to, to change things. And, and what was your step to go into politics? Was it your parents or was it something else who drive you into politics? I, I think um, I had, uh, had passion for politics in, in, in me somewhere uh, because I was uh, very passionate about uh, gender equality, inequalities and uh, I, I know that I took debates with everyone when I was feeling that women didn't have uh, enough uh, power or uh, not, not power I would say. I would say when I saw that girls were treated differently from boys it made me angry and that was uh, I think for me a, a door opener for the political debate and uh, change and that we need to do things together to change the society we live in and then uh, but it was not for me like oh I will go to this youth league and get involved and change everything not at all. It was a friend who was uh, uh, my, my former um, classmate who was involved. And he said, you have lots of uh, engagement and passion. You should be. And also my brother find a way in. But I would never listen to him because he's older and the big brother. And, you know, uh, but he had also talked to that friend and said, you could work on her because she has lots of ideas. So I remind myself, because it was not easy for him, he had to try lots of times because I can be stubborn, but he, he was really, you should be involved. And finally he succeeded. I think about that when I see the young people, like it's not like if they are not, if a person doesn't come into the political system only because you tell, you should come tomorrow. It's not a failure. It's actually you need to talk a bit about it, why it's important. You need to show alternatives to that engagement and how you can connect it to, to the democracy building. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a process hmm. for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You are also in the delegation for relations with the United States and the Committee of Foreign Affairs. 
in your role in, in the European Parliament. So what is your view when you see the new president of the US taking bold steps in the direction of the Paris Agreement, a European Green Deal, the, the EU's role in the international climate arena, and when you think about the relationship between the US, China, Russia, ahead of COP26? I hope that the summit will uh, mean that there is uh, not only a will, but also a more precise agenda from uh, the US and the EU on what we can achieve in Glasgow, both when it comes to the uh, national commitments uh, from uh, resp both the European Union and the US, but also when it comes to uh, climate financing tools and how we can help out in the world. And then uh, I think uh, I would like to see also more concrete proposals, how, we, how it's connected between the US and the EU. I mean, we have the emission trading system in the European Union, and it would be great to, to interlink that to something that is more similar in the US. So uh, we, we work together on how to reduce the, the, the emissions. And China and Russia? I believe we need to uh, also uh, interact uh, with them in front of Glasgow and acknowledge uh, uh, what is done. Uh, I believe uh, that China is uh, actually uh, doing something similar as, as the, the European Union when it comes to, to, to our climate law, but they have not the same timeline. Uh, they, they, are, uh, they would like to have climate neutrality at uh, 2060 at the latest, and that is, of course, a good signal from China, and we need to build on that. We cannot uh, have a productive Glasgow or deliver to the Paris Agreement if we don't interact and cooperate on climate with also China and Russia. So that will be the last words from you, um, Jutta, and, um, and I hope that uh, the listener have been Little, get a little bit more insights about the, the role to, to be a chief negotiator, negotiator uh, to, to implement a, a climate law in the European Union. And thank you for the talk today and uh, hope we keep in touch and, and follow your work. We will, definitely. Thank you, Kai, for uh, uh, letting me be a guest in your um, podcast. I'm very happy about that. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.